You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey, stranger. The Opus is moving out and into a new season as we continue to explore the ongoing legacy of music's most iconic records. I'm your host, Adam Unz, and this season we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Billy Joel's fifth studio album, The Stranger, a record whose critical and commercial success catapulted the piano man to superstardom. Helping us explore this classic collection are artists like Billy Joel's drummer Liberty DeVito, Regina Spector, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, Rozzy, Lissy, The Arkells, Bayside's Anthony Renari, and Ben Folds. Great music shapes lives, shakes rafters, and embeds itself into our culture. So let's find out why only the good die young as we deep dive into The Stranger. The new season is out now and is brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy Recordings. Find us at consequence.net or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade, on all social media. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. On today's show, I've got some levity coming your way, or at least it's some lighter subject matter. Obviously, I will be taking that lighter subject matter very seriously, um, but, you know... In case you hadn't noticed, there's a lot of shitty stuff going on in the world right now. And I don't know, I want to help you take your mind off of it for a half an hour or so. So I had a lovely little chat with singer-songwriter Miles Francis about their spark, the Backstreet Boys album Black and Blue. And that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Well, let's hear it then. Uh, quick Miles facts. Miles Francis is a New York-based artist, singer-songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist, naming shapeshifters like Prince and David Bowie among their essential touchstones along with Afrobeat music. Francis ultimately alchemizes those inspirations with their childhood obsession with early 2000s boy bands. The result is a highly percussive form of art pop, both lavishly orchestrated and visceral in impact. Their new album Good Man is out tomorrow, March 4th, so, uh, listen to it at the stroke of midnight tonight. That's my suggestion. Uh, quick Black and Blue facts. Black and Blue is the fourth studio album by American boy band The Backstreet Boys. It was released on November 21st, 2000 by Jive Records. The album recorded the best international sales in a week for an album in history by selling over 5 million copies in its first week of sales. In the United States, Black and Blue sold 1.5 million copies in its first week of release, making the Backstreet Boys the first group in SoundScan history to have million-plus first-week sales with back-to-back -back albums. It has sold over 15 million copies worldwide. The first single on the album was Shape of My Heart, followed by The Call and More Than That. And there you have it. Uh, what say we shoot on over to the interview? Here comes my chat with Miles Francis about Black and Blue. 
The uh, way that these things always start is by asking you where you first uh, heard this this album uh, specifically. We're talking about Black and Blue here. Where geographically? Uh, or where in my life? Where in your, I mean, both, you know. Do you remember <laughs> coming upon this album for the first time? So basically Backstreet Boys for me, they kind of hit me right where I was like, I think one of the target audiences um, and it just got me right at the sweet spot where I literally would just believe anything that was being told, being fed to me culturally. And it's like, Oh, Backstreet Boys. Okay, great. So I would say I didn't find the album, but rather it, it found me at when I was nine years old. And I guess it was a CD back then. I still have the CD. Um, but probably made my mom go to, to like Virgin Records and pick it up for me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is like, you know, I mean, I, th- there definitely are boy bands now, pop bands that are uh, marketed in a similar way. But th- that time period was the last vestiges of what the music industry used to be and of that specific kind of marketing where it was, you know, based on physical sales rather than streaming and downloads. Yeah. But also the amount of money that record companies would spend on marketing stuff and making sure that whatever act they were promoting, that they were in front of everyone everywhere all the time so um yeah especially for albums like this it was just inescapable they were absolutely everywhere and this was definitely the height of their powers yeah it was just perfect marketing just (laughs) all things go like trl was was the thing and just every single music video drop was just such an event like literally a physical event they would like have Carson in the studio with everyone like ready to debut the video and then the video. Oh God. It's just, it it feels in many ways like a a brainwash era um, for me personally, just like in terms of like listening to these songs now uh, and like listening to the lyrics and, and like the kind of messaging behind some of the songs, which is why I chose this album in particular when their album millennium was really like the the pinnacle album because it was like i want it that way and the like larger than life like all those like like huge songs and then this was the album that came after that and it's like much darker and it just it yeah this album is a little more questionable now looking back whereas like an album like millennium is like yeah that that makes sense like that that was then and no harm no foul Mm. Yeah. But black and blue is a little different. Yeah. And, you know, it felt like it was a conscious choice on the part of the band and the people who they were working with to kind of keep a similar formula. They didn't want to alienate their audience, but um, giving them a little bit more room to kind of uh, break out of the exact mold that they'd been in. And that led to, you know, the following album was a complete departure from the this, uh, sound that they'd had. But also... yeah being so intensely famous and successful and you know having this album in terms of the darkness i mean i think it was a real turning point for the band not only in uh their fortunes and in the you know ability to pull in a crowd the ability to sell albums um which you know has never 
really gone away, but um, just not at the same the same extreme level. Um, but also, you know, personal problems, uh, intraband conflict, drug and alcohol abuse, all of that kind of stuff was kind of coming to the fore at the same time. So, um, yeah, I think it it's an album that represents a lot of different things in the history of the band, not just musically. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those cracks starting to show moments that like you have this, yeah, like you said, like an intense celebrity, like thing that is just, you're, you're tr- they're trying to present something. They're always trying to package and present something. And if it has to be like dark, then it has to be dark. But even when it's or honest or whatever they're going for, but no matter what, like there's always this sheen of like, everything's actually okay. We're just kind of, this is the music. This is like the band. And, and, but then as we've seen time, time and time again, like that doesn't work. It never, it always runs out. It always becomes like, and real people get hurt in the process that now, you know, you don't find out till decades later, maybe. And we're like, you know, just in terms of these people's like interpersonal lives um, it's, it's just weird because they're singing these songs that, that, you know, they're trying to sell like millions of records so that it has to have this accessibility, but you're selling them to like teenagers and it just, it just such a, it's so mixed up. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) It's all mixed up into this like messy, like, I don't know. It's it's, it's real messy. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I think with, any pop act there's an image that needs to be projected to the public that is in most cases not the reality of what's going on in their life um but you know having that pressure the pressure of tons of other boy bands coming up and obviously specifically NSYNC who were another manufactured band created by the same guy you know uh coming up in the same management and label and all of that stuff that it was you know they have said themselves a million times that they were under so much pressure to perform that if they ever said no to anything they'd be like okay well nsync will do it so all that kind of stuff and uh that combined with having multiple instances of being taken advantage of by labels and management and getting into bad deals and um having all that kind of stuff happening behind the scenes plus all the stuff that was happening for them personally and i think now everybody is a bit more aware of the you know there's advantages and disadvantages to being that famous and successful and you know just thinking about the stuff that's happening with britney right now that um people can really understand how controlled people are when they're you know there's so many people depending on them to to make money for them um and how difficult it can make people's personal relationships and just living their life outside of their career in the music yeah yeah it, it's i'm very fascinated by like looking at the backstreet boys now or yeah i mean backstreet boys now and like how they like who they are now and like what how they carry themselves in the world and um just there's it's like that that sheen is still is still there um it's it it is clearly like um 
you know, it's impossible to maintain that, like, and how the world is now, like, we can see, like, the world is more personal, the world is, everyone shares more, and they can see and find out more about people. And you can see that, like, when, like, Brian Luttrell of Backstreet Boys is like, what was that? What was that uh, app that he was championing? It was like the far right. Oh, God, I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta look it up. Do you remember? I, d- I don't. He's like a big QAnon guy, right? Yeah, he was like, he, he was championing this app that was used by QAnon um, and, and then kind of like, therefore outed himself as like a, you know, kind of Trump, Trumper type guy. And it's like that type of thing would have never happened back in the day. It's just like, these are real people with real, like, uh, you know, they're, they're citizens, they're humans, and they are not these, like, these uh, beacons of like what, you know, a star should be or what an artist or a musician or sing. It's just like, they're people and they're weird. And not to mention like Nick Carter is like a whole other can of worms, um, like has a bunch of um, allegations and, and clearly like has some dark stuff in his past in terms of like assault and stuff like that. And obviously his family is, you know, so yeah, it's just like now for me, like, I just, I just turned 30 last year and, uh, you know, it was just like, I don't know how old those, I think they're in their thirties. Maybe they're older. Maybe they're like around 40 now, but. Yeah. um, Like uh, Nick Carter is the youngest and he's 41. Okay. So yeah, it, it's just, if I, I've gone through this thing of like looking through my past, like what, what I used to consume as a kid, what, and what these, like, you know, this was like my favorite band at a certain point in my life. And, um, to, to have all now like grown up, um, and confront, confronted the, the realities of life and like what, and behavior, and especially just like as men and all the implications of their lyrics and their actions behind the scenes, like, it all just feels like, um, yeah, like I said, like a brainwash or like just a blur of like, like a weird dream that we're just like wake, have woke, woken up from, you know? Hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of it is a byproduct of the internet and um, celebrities having a direct channel to, to uh, you know, speak to their fans, to speak to the public at large, for better or for worse. And it used to be that the record label could kind of control what the band was saying. Um, and all of the media appearances were very carefully micromanaged. And, um, you know, around the time of this album, they started giving interviews where they were talking more about like drinking and having sex and whatever. And, um, I, as the internet has become more and more a part of everyone's life, they, you know, as with any celebrity, I think they think the stuff with Brian Luttrell wouldn't necessarily have happened at the peak of uh, the band's success if he had this ideology. There's no way that his management would have let him talk about it. Um, and now it's like there's there's nobody who's sitting in his house holding his phone and making him think about what he says before he says it. So, um, you know, it's also interesting seeing how the other band members have reacted to, re- reacted to it and 
reacted pretty negatively and said like when someone is someone you love is in a cult um it's you feel really helpless and blah 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 but you know all of that stuff yeah. is is fascinating to me yeah even those re- reactions like you can just see the the meetings or the the sort of like they're i don't know who manages them now but they're trying to preserve their brands they're trying to like you know run this thing as far as they can and they knew that they know how to react to things and they like, it's all calculated. It's, it's just weird. Cause now it's like, it's at least before it was calculated and it's obviously calculated, but now it's like that 2022 thing of like this, something seeming natural, but really it is like a PR person behind the scenes or it is like a, like it's, 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 I don't know. I just, I take faith in AJ McLean. Uh, Hopefully I I really think he's has the most potential to be, uh, (laughs) to be, uh, I don't know, to have made it through with some sort of semblance of, I guess I don't want to say that he's the only one, but um, you know, it's, it's all just like, it all is sort of like a PR campaign that never ends. It seems, um, and I guess it is interesting that Kevin at one point left and like, you know, now he's back. It's just, yeah, I don't know the life, the lives these people lead. Um, but once I did tune into a Nick Carter Twitch stream and, and I just, I, I couldn't watch. I was like, this makes me very uncomfortable just the way that he's interacting right now. And uh. yeah, he's, uh, you know, always struck me as someone who is uh not particularly happy with the way things have shaken out for him like i i think he assumed that he was gonna have um a a career like justin Timberlake's. you know he probably would have left the band if his solo stuff had taken off in the same way but uh yeah it's uh also very interesting you know i think boy bands and girl bands generally from a marketing perspective they're allowed to have personalities in a kind of different spice girls type of way where it's like everybody can have an archetype but the personality is kind of a shared personality for the whole band because it's you know representing this specific uh image and the band has this idea of what they want to project to their fans and now, again, because of the internet and also just with time and age and whatever, I think you get to see a bit more of who the people are as individuals, again, for better or for worse. Sometimes it's like, ooh, I, I don't want to know this stuff about you. Um, but uh, yeah, again, I find that really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I remember when I learned, or no, it wasn't when I learned about, but like the Nick Carter, like assault allegations and all of that, like... Um, I was curious if it was like, I Googled it and when you Google it, you can find it, but like there's some scrubbing that has definitely gone on with all of that stuff. Like it's not on the Bastard Boys Wikipedia. It's not on Nick Carter's Wikipedia. And generally it's like, it was a little buried and that it's, it's obvious that, that they're preserving what they have um, and, you know, silencing uh, people, or you're silencing news outlets or people depending on what they want, uh, you know, to be known about these very real men operating in the world, yeah. <laughs> which is troubling. And, and it, and it's, but it, they're not the only ones that's for sure. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it, it is, it is interesting when you go back and listen to like this, this album in particular, like, uh, the first few tracks really come out swinging with some like kind of lightly coded toxic, I guess is the word <laughs> problematic perspectives of, of like, a, I don't know, a, a man in their twenties or, or, you know, a teenage boy or whatever, just like the messaging is strange. Um, and the song shape of my heart, especially is like, it's one of my, I think it's an amazing song and I think it holds up musically, but like the lyric starting with a lyric, like baby bleach, please try to forgive me is, is a, is kind of a red flag. And then it <laughs> goes further into that. And I never saw that until I started thinking about these topics in my own life and just like reflecting on my own complicity and like patriarchy and all this stuff. And then you go back and listen to those songs. You're like, Oh, what this, it was like, this is what I was listening to and like worshiping when I was a kid, like whether or not I knew it, these, this messaging was getting in there. Mm. It was in my brain and who knows what impact that has on a kid, you know? Right. And uh, it does feel like, uh, I, I don't know, I think in the history of pop music, there have always been people who've been concerned about messaging, but especially in the last decade or so, there's a lot more public analysis, uh, analysis from fans about the meaning of songs and um, the meaning of art in, in general and how it affects people and how it shapes public perceptions of different issues. And especially with a boy band like this, how their messaging affects other young men and how they see their relationships with their partners and all of that stuff. But I guess we can mostly blame Max Martin for that. Yeah. Just like a circle of, of Swedish dudes that were really just churning these things out. Um, yeah. You can't really blame the singers in this case. It's more of just an institution, but yeah, Max Martin what, and, and, there's this other guy, Francis something, I forget his name, but um, there there was a bunch of them that on this album, it was maybe a little less Max Martin, but still just like, God, he, he, he has some problematic lyrics in his, in his past, in his past. I mean, and still probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, again, to totally remarkable, uh, relentless output and, I guess that's a, a part of this whole idea of the band being like a, a machine that everything's very calculated. It's, you know, a manufactured pop act from the beginning that was formed through auditioning members, um, you know, based on the new kids on the block model and having every step of the way involving people who are like part of a, an assembly line or, um, I guess like a, a kind of corporate structure as to how everything needed to be managed, putting everything into a computer and saying, what is the perfect pop song and having somebody who could generate those things. But at the same time, it's like, it is incredibly exciting. You know, I, did you see, um, this is pop, the, uh, Netflix documentary series. Was that the one with boys to men? The yeah. episode about boys to men. Yeah. I, I actually only watched that episode, but yeah, there's an episode about Swedish pop and, um, you know, it's focuses pretty heavily on, on Max Martin and, um, oh, what's the other guy's name? Something. Dennis Pop. Dennis Pop. Thank you. Um, yeah. and showing 
the Backstreet Boys in the studio with them. And it's this, you know, they have referred to it as like this cool high tech thing that just made them, you know, blew their minds and showing them in the studio. And it just looks like, I mean, I guess it was the nineties, but it does not look like anything impressive at all. And the fact that, you know, Max Martin and that's the Swedish pop industrial complex, they had put out some hits with, you know, Ace of Bass and mm-hmm. Robin and people like that. But the Backstreet Boys were really what created the global domination that still exists to this day. Um, and even though it's all of this stuff that's quite manufactured and calculated, it still is incredibly exciting. And, you know, it, it has this enormous effect on culture. And when you look back through the list of all the songs that just Mac Mar- Max Martin has written or, and or produced, it's like you know, an incredible amount of the global pop hits that have come in the last 30 years. Yeah. It's crazy that so many songs that so many billions of people have listened to, uh, have just come from this one guy, like so many songs. And it's just like, it's just a guy, he's just a guy, you know, he's, he's a guy, he's a man in the world that has had his own experiences. That's a lot of power, you know, it's crazy. Um, and, and I, I think about like, when you think about this thing of, of like the perfect song, the perfect pop song or whatever, that whole like idea, it, I, it's confusing to me because, um, for like, take these songs, like, you know, obviously Backstreet Boys were, and NSYNC were for like, like teenage girls were like the one of the targets and then but i just wonder like when you have so like shape of my heart they say in that song uh it's like the the first the first verse is baby please try to forgive me stay here don't put out the glow hold me now don't bother if every minute it makes me weaker you can save me from the man that i've become and like that so everything up until it gets gendered is yeah okay you can apply anyone can sing that and feel that about their loved one but but you throughout here and there throughout these songs, like you do find that it is from a male perspective and it just makes me wonder like, you know, about what, what accessibility even means with a pop song. Do people even really listen to the lyrics? Are they identifying with just the sentiment? Um, What is going on there um, where, and also like the call, uh, which is just straight up about a guy just cheating on his girlfriend and, um very like like just doesn't regret it at all and like it's it's very yeah it's just like are those perfect pop songs like what it it's it it begs the question of like what is universal and what is uh relatable or are the people listening to it also under the same brainwash that like it just doesn't matter it's just all about the energy of it and the image of it right and I, I think that is a good point. I mean, it's like what you were saying before about being a kid and listening to these songs and not really taking in the meaning of them. And I guess that is kind of what makes a perfect pop song is where it, it almost doesn't matter what the lyrics are, or what the song is about, that people, if it's catchy enough and people like the sound of it enough, they may not ever pay any attention to the lyrics they may not even learn the lyrics and still love that song and just be like oh yeah this is this sounds great and it's this specific musical structure it's different kinds of production it's different instruments and following trends in the sounds of pop music and 
putting all of those things into the magic pop computer and finding the uh, exact way to manipulate all of those trends and um, the the kinds of sounds that people actually want in their songs and putting them in it. And um, yeah, it's only if you kind of take the time to analyze lyrics and analyze meaning um, to, to really understand whether it's uh, a song that is for good or for evil. Maybe that's yeah. a bit extreme. Maybe that's a bit extreme. <laughs> no, I think that is that is the binary for sure. <laughs> um, but there's nothing I, in between. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want it that way. Especially, feels like it was like spit out by a pop music robot. Like it's it. The lyrics just. I haven't heard one person analyze that song and like not have to like cut some corners in order to sort of justify their meaning for it. Even the, when they say, I want it, like, I never want to hear you say, I want it that way. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just odd. It's an odd phrase and nobody, it, it, it doesn't roll off. It doesn't really make sense. It's just all these like just cliches and, and just like little phrases that all together make a feeling, but they're not, it's it's not it's kind of a fool's errand to try to like go any deeper with it totally and that's actually in this episode of this is pop they talk about that song in particular and members of the backstreet boys are like oh my god that song is complete nonsense it is meaningless and you know the most important part is that the rhymes scan and as long as you've got that it doesn't matter what the the lyrics say and it's kind of true it's like it it's uh a real test for that theory that people will as long as it kind of feels right. It doesn't matter if it, it actually makes sense. Um, it, it's the sound of it. It's the image. It's seeing like, you know, five young, handsome, uh, cool guys who have the full force of the music industry behind them and everything looks glossy and beautiful. And the sound that became the sound of pop music for whatever, 10 years and evolved into the music that we listen to now. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, freight train that you, you can't really stop. And yeah. um, it was also just like everywhere, this ubiquitous sound, whether you liked it or not. Um, and, you know, radio had much more power in those days and wherever you went, the song was there. Um, so yeah, yeah I guess, uh, it, it is an even greater testament to Max Martin's, uh, powers that he can, create songs that don't make any sense and people will still lap it up. Yeah. It, it, I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a little bit disheartening as a songwriter, just like <laughs> who, you know, labors over my lyrics and like, I'm just like, yeah, I guess like, I guess it doesn't really matter as long as I just sell this. Um, but I can't like, I, I can't live with a lyric that I know is, is BS. Like I, I just, I need to, I need to, for myself to know what I'm saying in order to sell it. But the reality is the way people consume music and especially now more than then, like it's just, it flow, it just flows and it's just, it's a feeling. And, and I, that's, that's the, like, I, I subscribe to that as an artist, as a music lover is like, it is a feeling. It is, it is a universal language that you don't need lyrics. And I've made a lot of instrumental music, in my life and it, you know, you communicate through that. So it makes, it tracks that like 
you know, you can make a song with lyrics where the lyrics are kind of nonsense or, or just minimal and, and it still gets a feeling across. It's just in this context, it it's, and just the scale of this, of the success of this music is, yeah, it's, and, and it's not all pop music. I mean, like you have pop music that is, that, that is super meaningful. And, um, you know, I, I just thought of like, what have you done for me lately by Janet Jackson? Where like, that's a, I totally understand that song and it makes perfect sense to me. Like you don't need to make this kind of pop music, but, um, I get, uh, you know, it, it, he, he, he and his cronies uh, really struck gold on the formula. And it's just like, yeah, I guess, I guess now we live in some, some sort of in-between place. I don't know where we are now with lyrics, but. Yeah. Yeah. It does, it does still feel like, I don't know, that's, that's another effect of the internet and music becoming all digital and not really having any physical media anymore is you know when you used to get an album you had liner notes and lyrics that you could look through and now i mean i guess as as evil as spotify is as a corporation they do now have lyrics for the songs if you want to see them um <laughs> but uh yeah i i do often feel like i wish people would pay more attention to lyrics because they're is a lot of fantastic lyrical content out there. And if you are a more passive listener of music, um, I think sometimes you can miss out on a lot of great stuff. It's exactly what you were saying. Like the melody, um, the, you know, instrumentation, all of that stuff is very important on its own and can sustain um, a song, an album, a whole body of work. But, yeah, I think there is a special magic when that is combined with really incredible, meaningful lyrical content as well. Yeah, I feel like we we are like pop music, like super famous, big, massive pop music does have a little more lyrical attention um, or in just in the I, maybe it's related to how rap is has become pop music now. And like, you know, it's it's most uh kind of successful formula happening right now is rap and hip hop and so and within rap and hip hop is like uh very specific and intentional lyrical content that's saying something and when a rap song comes out and they're saying something in it like people talk about how they said that thing in the song and it's like lyrics are a part of the song um and i feel like that's gone into like an ariana grande where you know in thank you next she's saying actual things that people are like oh wow she just said that in the song you know and it's it's a different it's a different thing but like i like to think that that yeah lyrics are are a little are coming back <laughs> you heard it here first folks <laughs> lyrics are back baby uh i feel like that is a lovely note on which to finish <laughs> um this has been really fun thank you very much for uh for making time for me yeah yeah and if you want to hear some weird versions of of backstreet boys songs i just put out like these two pop covers or covers of those of an instinct song and a backstreet boys song amazing specifically surrounding the lyrics um so it's a it's a journey that i that i'm i think i'm gonna be on for a while <laughs> 
Awesome. For better or for worse. That's really cool. But yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. What a fun little chat, wouldn't you say? Thanks again to Miles for talking to me. Uh, as a reminder, their album Good Man is out tomorrow. So you've really only got a few hours to make a plan of uh, how you're going to listen to it. So you better start right now, and I'm not going to stop you, because that's it from me this week. Um, I will be back next week with another extremely thrilling conversation. But for now, stay safe, take care, and until next time, bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.